Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Jeremy Clopton. Jeremy is a director at Upstream Academy. Prior to Upstream, Jeremy was at one of the top accounting and consulting firms in the country where he led a firm-wide specialty practice. During his 12 years there, Jeremy gained extensive experience in data analytics, fraud prevention, and business intelligence. Jeremy speaks both in the U.S. and abroad at industry events. He is a faculty member at the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and is an instructor at the Management Development Institute at Missouri State University. Jeremy believes in the potential of data and technology to transform firm practice management, leadership, and firm culture. He is also passionate about employee engagement and the value brought to each generation or brought by each generation in the workplace. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Randy, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my honor. Everybody that I told that what we're going to be discussing today uh, thought it was going to be a great subject. And, and what we are going to discuss today, there's really a couple things I'd like to discuss based on that intro. I'd love to get into data analytics within public accounting at some point. So maybe you and I can uh, discuss that after the show, potentially uh, scheduling another one a month or two down the road and talk about that. But today, we're going to concentrate on generations in the workforce, and specifically generations within public accounting workforce. I figured probably a good starting point is maybe just explain the generations. I mean, there, there's what, four or five different generations, explain it and you know, maybe expand on a little why there's different you know, personalities or traits within each. Maybe that's too big of a question to ask at the beginning, but I'll let you flow with it. No, I think that's a great place to start. And it's probably worth noting that as the Census Bureau actually defines generations, there's only one formal definition of a generation, or I should say one generation that's ever been defined, and that's the baby boomer generation. Outside of that, everything else has kind of been created in a way to help people understand differences. And I probably would say a little bit from a marketing standpoint as well. Uh, so if we think about the generations, uh, I'm going to work from uh, youngest to oldest. You'd start with a Generation Z, which is uh, the youngest generation in the workforce today. So traditionally speaking, and I'm sure that listeners could find different definitions from this, but I'm going to go with uh, kind of the average from everything that I've read and studied on this. About 1996 and more recent uh, would be their birth years. So anybody that was born 96 and after, so you're talking your 24, 25-year-olds, 23, somewhere in that vicinity, that's Generation Z. Before them, you've got the Generation Y, which is also known as the Millennial Generation, uh, generally speaking, born from about 1980 to 1995. Uh, Generation X would be your 1965 to 1979 uh, birth years. Before that, the the well-known, the Baby Boomer Generation, 1946 to 64. And then generally speaking, uh, you've still got a few traditionalist workforce as well. And they were born uh, 1927 to 1945. It's not necessarily a lot of the workforce, obviously, at this point, because uh, they're, what, I guess I put them around 75 years old. Uh, but there's still plenty of folks in that generation 
that's in the accounting workforce today. Uh, many founding partners uh, that are leading firms are in that generation. Uh, so you look at that and now you've got five different generations in, in the workforce. That's a big ask to say, hey, let's get people uh, with so many, so many different experiences and life experiences and get them working together. It's really a big challenge, but in my view, it's a huge opportunity because where else are you going to get that many different perspectives on the way that you can accomplish a goal, say running an accounting firm or helping a client? Uh, it's, a, it's a unique time. I think it's a great time, great opportunities. Yeah, so so those generations then, and I agree with you, a great opportunity because everybody brings a different skill set. And I don't think that necessarily is defined by your generation. It's defined on, on what skills you have. But, but, but you know, I guess uh, if you look at it, generalization, the younger generations probably have more technology-based skill sets than a traditionalist or even a boomer uh, may have. So, so it brings different aspects to the firm. I can I understand that. Working within these different generations then, there's a couple key things I hear all the time within public accounting that, that are issues when I'm out at conferences, when I'm meeting with CPAs. Uh, and one of them is, and I, I'm wondering if this has a impact by based on generational differences, but I hear and a key thing right now is really just attracting and retaining good and, and retaining is a key thing, good individuals. And that just may be based on the workforce currently. I mean, it, we've got a very good economy going, but but as generations somehow fit into that or can fix that or can help that, do you see that as an issue, I guess? I, I don't know if it's as much the generations as it is life stages. Uh, don't get me wrong, the generations are different. Uh, and you're, you're seeing younger generations now are, are being encouraged to try more new things. Uh, I'm currently reading the book Range by David Epstein, and he actually talks about uh, how moving from different industries and different jobs early in your career when the risks are, maybe it's high risk, high reward, that's a really good time to do that because you're trying to get a lot of different variety in what you're, what you're learning. But what we see is in the workforce, what that looks like is job hopping and a lack of loyalty. So it's really hard to retain people I don't know if it's as much a generation thing as it is, like I said, it's younger folks that are trying to figure out where do they want to be and what is it that they want to do. And that's a really important thing to recognize is it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what generation they're defined in as much as it is what they're trying to figure out right now. One of the statistics that I like to use in talking about this point is uh, something from the Census Bureau, and they actually did a longitudinal study of baby boomers from the, year, uh, from the ages of 18 to 50. And they calculated what's the average number of jobs held by a baby boomer between their ages of 18 to 50. Any idea what that might be? Average um, So my guess is it's higher than I think, and I'll say <laughs> eight. Which right. Is and I wouldn't have asked number. it if it wasn't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I wouldn't have asked it if it wasn't higher than you were thinking. It's actually yeah. almost 12. Okay. Okay. So yeah. we, the further we get from our young early 20s, the harder it is to remember what it was like to be in our early 20s and looking for a, a place where we fit. So even the boomers, right, the most loyal generation, on average had 12 jobs between the ages of 18 to 50. So most of those were held in their early 20s. Right. So younger professionals leaving the firm, going to find somewhere different, trying industry, coming back, 
I don't know if it's as much as about generation as it is they're young professionals and still trying to figure out what is the right fit for them. I do think the thing that maybe is tied to the generations is the fact that the boomers, Gen X, even some traditionalists are now coaching and mentoring these younger professionals and saying, look, we learned over the course of our career, the time to try something new is early, not late. So if you're going to move, move now. And they're getting that, that insight and that encouragement from older generations that have learned. Uh, So maybe it is a touch in the generational space, but I don't know that we could say it's because they're a millennial or it's because they're Gen Z. So it's not millennials are jumping around in jobs because they're bored and they're looking for the work-life balance and all that. We, we did, I'm a boomer. Um, uh, at the end of it, uh, so a younger uh, a boomer. But, <laughs> sure. but if I look back, I'm sure I had quite a few jobs as well. And I remember growing up after college, uh, we'd always get together with friends and we'd talk about, oh, man, this guy's already had five jobs two years into it. So, yeah, it's not it's not like things have changed or has it. I mean, are today's millennials or Gen Z or Gen X or Gen Y or whatever, are they, is that number 12 that they, well, I guess they're not 50 years old now. but uh, Right. So that's they, the problem. Yeah. It's really hard to tell. Uh, so uh, if we're going to go ahead and admit generations, I'm a millennial. I'm okay with that. Contrary to most millennials that I know, I'm actually okay with being a millennial. I'm an older millennial. Uh, I'm not going to be one of those that claims I'm a zennial, which is the hybrid Gen Z, Gen Y, really doesn't want to claim either one. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm a millennial, but I'm not defined by the, the, the stereotypes of right. the generation. So I've, had, I've been with three companies since I graduated from school. So I was with the accounting firm that I was with for 12 years. I started my own company and had that for a few months before I joined Upstream. And now here I am. So I've had three and I'm, you know, well past the point at which most of the jobs would have been held. So to me, we don't, the thing that we have to remember on any of these topics that I think it's really hard to remember sometimes is we didn't hire a generation. We hired an individual, right? We hired quite a few individuals and none of them are their generation, right? They're not defined by the generational stereotypes What's interesting is when I hear people talking about the generations, my favorite question is always, how do we deal with millennials? I mean, for the longest time, that's been the question. People are still asking it, even though they're actually talking about Gen Z, but they're still saying, how do we deal with millennials? Even though they're not, that's not who they're asking. In fact, the group that's always asking that question, millennials. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So you got a bunch of millennials saying, how do we deal with millennials? Which to me right there says the issue is not the generation. The issue is how do we deal with people that are different than we are and they have a different mindset than we do, which is a totally different question. Right. So if we're looking at, if we're specifically looking at generations then, and, and, and people can yeah. identify as different generations, I suppose as well. I mean, I, I, you know, like you said, well, I'm in the boomer generation. And when I was looking at these definitions based on um, what it says about these definitions, all these generations, I, I thought, well, I'm Gen X too. Um, so yeah, whatever it is, but just in general, then these different mindsets, in accounting practice, we're in tax season right now. Are there issues that we run into? Are there things that need to be overcome? Are there different ways people need to look to make a firm be more efficient by working at least with different people with you know, different skill sets that may be based on their generations? I think one of the things, especially you know, in the throes of tax season, when it's all about getting the work done, uh, historically, our profession 
and our history of our profession ties to the generations, right? The historic definition of productivity this time of year has always been charge hours. Right. How many hours did you work? I've heard firms that say, oh, we, you know, we, we expect 50 hours, 60 hours. I heard one firm recently that said, oh, we got people working 90 hours a week. And that has been one thing that through the generations has historically been productivity has been defined by hours. And we're getting to the point now where technology has changed. And you mentioned earlier on that historically, or, you know, you think about it, people typically think Gen Z, uh, Gen Y is going to be more tech savvy. Well, if they're going to be more tech savvy, we also have to then recognize that their productivity is probably not measured by hours, but it's measured by an output. How many tax returns got done? How much of the, how much of the work got done rather than how long were they sitting there? You know, that's a generational difference that we have to start to uh, redefine productivity. Before technology, it truly, I mean, you could generally say how long you were there is how much you got done. Uh, I don't know that that was still ever the best definition of productivity, but it worked for a number of years and a number of generations. Now we're getting in there and we're saying, well, if I could get the same amount of tax returns done using technology in five hours as you could in 50, why do I need to sit here for another 45? Right. And it, it comes across as, well, these young kids don't want to work. I'm pretty sure that if we gave somebody who wasn't a young kid, right? I'll use that with air quotes. I don't like to use right. air quotes, but I nope. will there. Yep. But if, you know, you gave the same technology and the same skill set to somebody who's in a more experienced generation and they could do it, I'm sure that they would like to get everything done in five hours instead of 50 as well. It's just, that's not what we're used to. So it's harder to overcome that, that experience bias of, well, this is, this is the way I did it. So this is the way it needs to be done. Right. And, and rather than this is the better way to do it, this is the way that needs to be done. So here, here I'm going to segue into a different yeah. question then based on that. If I'm doing uh, five hours of work, which used to take 50 hours, does that mean that I'm, I'm billing 50 hours in five hours? Are we value billing this? Is that what we should be looking for? I, I know this is a little bit different than generations, but that just brings up that question to me. How, do you, how does that get addressed? It really does. And, and this is something that, you know, as we talk about technology and data analytics as well, it probably plays into another episode, like you said. But yep. you know, as we now transition to where we're getting five hours, you know, taking five hours to get 50 hours worth of work done in the traditional sense, it, it does have to be a value bill, right? You're still providing the exact same amount of value to the client. I, I don't know if uh, in the in the traditional compliance sense that it's really a value bill. Uh, as I think about it there, you know, we're probably using this technology to get more efficient at compliance type work. And what we're doing is we're just becoming more profitable on these fixed fee engagements. Uh, we're probably not actual value billing in the formal definition of value billing. Right. Uh, what we're doing is we're increasing our leverage. And now we're able to just get more done in less time, which really opens up a lot of capacity and potential growth for the firm. Right. Uh, because if we can now get the same amount of work done in significantly less time, now we have the ability to, to leverage ourselves. And it's trying to figure out, okay, what do you do with that extra time? I think the, the challenge there, and this may be kind of tying to the generations and historically how we've done it, the challenge there is not to use that same time elsewhere. Okay. And, you know, say, well, we still got to get those hours in. Well, right. are, are we focused on output or are we focused on input? Because that's the big difference. 
And I, you raised a really good point there, Randy, uh, a moment ago when you said, you know, that it's what's the best decision. So many of the challenges between the generations, when I've heard, uh, you know, a traditionalist or a boomer say, well, I just don't get the, you know, these younger generations, that just doesn't make sense to me. If we could step back and not even say what's the best defin- uh, best decision, because I think when we say the best decision, you know, personal bias is mean, on the definition of best. But if we were to step back and say, what's the right business decision? Now, all of a sudden, we have a conversation that is generation agnostic. It doesn't matter who gave the idea. It doesn't matter if it came from a 20-year-old, a 12-year-old, or a 70-year-old. If we're truly taking the idea and saying, what is the best business decision, whether it's financial or operational, so many of these these challenges that the generations um, seem to cause could actually go away. And I think we're starting to see firms do that. Dress code is probably one of the big ones. Uh, Remote work is another one. Remote work. I was just thinking that. That's huge. I mean, so many firms have started to step back. Not, not all of them. I've talked to plenty of firms where that's not the case. But so many firms are stepping back and they're saying, you know, we're hearing this. We're getting this push. I think if you objectively asked who would like to work remotely, it's not just 23-year-olds. Right. Yep. Uh, you're going to get 30, 40, 50, 60. You're going to get partners that are going to say, yeah, I'd love to have the opportunity to work remotely. I'd love to go to my kid's game. I'd love to be able to attend this other event. What, we, what we're doing is we're stepping out of the generational conflict and we're saying what's the best decision for the firm from an operational standpoint? Well, allowing people to be productive on their terms seems to be the best business decision. Yep. So it's, it's starting to change the narrative in firms. And I think it's a really good thing. Uh, the dress so. code has always been the other one. Right. Got to have a suit and tie. Got to have long sleeves if you're if you're a guy. And right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, we're we're sitting here. We're we're doing, you know, a a video conference here as we're doing the podcast. And you sit there and think, well, what is a formal dress code? What is the right dress code? And I love the fact that firms are now saying, you know, dress for your day. Yeah. And I know that that causes a a lot of. Oh, yeah. And it causes angst. I mean, it causes a lot of it because. The question now becomes, well, what if we can't trust people to dress for their day? And I take a fairly hard line stance on it, I guess. Uh, if you can't trust somebody to make the decision as to how to dress themselves, do you really want to trust them making decisions that are going to impact the future of the firm and your best clients? Right. I think that's not a, a generational decision. No. It's a business decision. It is. It, it, you, you just need to work on that. Yeah, I agree completely on that. If you can't trust that, then what can you do? And then maybe it's your management style uh, rather than the employees. And you're concerned about the little things and stop my micromanaging. And let's look at the big picture. I'm going to transition a little bit because there's a couple important things I'd like to talk to because public accounting, and this probably happens everywhere right now, but the impression I have, at least what I see from a lot of the firms that I deal with is I get the impression that we're very partner heavy in the boomer age and we're going to be having a lot of retirement coming up soon in that age. Are are you seeing that as a problem in firms? And if so, how can we make sure that we're bringing these next whatever gen it is up and preparing them to take over this firm? Because I see so many times now where a firm is, their only option is, we got to sell. We got to merge because we're retiring and we don't have anybody coming up that's going to take over. So, so how do we address that and make sure these generations can work together and, and we bring these people up? 
Randy, I've talked to a lot of firms that have that have really expressed that, as you said, that they're looking at it and they're the founding partners, their name's on the door and they're looking to retire and they're realizing our best option is to sell because I don't have that next gen. Right. I was with a group of managing partners just a, a few weeks ago in Arizona and uh, one of the firms that was there, uh, they had their current managing partner and their future managing partner and it was actually a, a family. So it was a father and a son and, you know, uh, I liked how he called it. He called it uh, G1 and G2 because you had that first gen and you had that next gen. And, and I think it's really important it, it, to overcome that challenge of all of these partners retiring. And, and the other thing that you're, you're seeing in that regard is a lot of the boomer partners are wanting to retire earlier than some of the traditionalist partners. So not only are you seeing, we've got a bunch of partners that want to retire. They want to retire a little younger so they can enjoy retirement. Yep which means that we not only have more, we have more sooner, which expedites that problem. And what we have to do is we have to recognize the younger generations are learning in a different way than the older generations. And, and that's not uh, a good or a bad thing. It, it's, it's a thing. It's just the way that it is. And it's because historically, knowledge transfer existed in the workplace through observation and discussion. Then it started, to, and that was how the traditionalists, that's how they learned everything, right? Then it transitioned from observation and you got a few books, if you were lucky to find a book that was specific enough, right? But now think about it. Now you've got observation. Now you've got the ability to read a book from some of the best managing partners in the profession. You can go out there. They've got blogs. They've got podcasts. They've got you know, they're posting on LinkedIn on an everyday basis or at least once a week. Yep. You've got so many new opportunities out there. What we have to really embrace is this concept of rapid skill development or rapid, intentional rapid development of our people. We have to stop thinking about time as the developer of people. Because if we're looking to transition the leadership of the firm in the next six years, I hate to say it, Time is not our friend. Nope. You've got six years to transition, so you've got to figure out if you don't already have that bench strength, which, like you said, a lot of firms don't. They're trying to figure that out. You've got to identify that partner that maybe, maybe they're not even a partner. Maybe they're a manager and they're in their you know, mid-20s, and you've got to say, look, do you want to be the future of the firm? And if you do, here's how we're going to do that. We're going to get you shadowing the managing partner. We're going to get you shadowing other partners. We're going to get you as much intense training as we can. We're going to get you in front of clients, in front of prospects. The way that we overcome all of these retirements is recognizing we don't have to wait until somebody is a partner and in their 40s or 50s to recognize them as the potential future of the firm. We need to do that earlier. Maybe it's their 20s. Maybe it's their 30s. I don't personally think that age has anything to do with it. No. Uh, the only, as, as Sam Allred, one of our partners, and uh, one of my, I've had the opportunity to have him as a mentor in my career now, especially being with Upstream. One of, one of my favorite lines that he says is that the only thing that age does is make us older. <laughs> it doesn't develop us. It doesn't give us experience. All that another year does is it makes us another year older. Right. And we have to start to recognize that the future of the firm is going to be found in our younger professionals. And what are we doing each and every single day to prepare them for the future of the firm and recognize 
they don't have to become the future the way that we became the present. Right. They don't have to wait till they're in their 40s or 50s. Uh, I, I know one firm I talked to last year, they had a managing partner that I think he said he made managing partner at 30 or 31. Wow. And it's because they recognize, look, we're, we want to retire. We need a successor. He's got it. Right. So we're going to develop him. He was a partner, I think he told me, at 25. That's young. Became managing partner in his really young 30s. That's intentional, rapid development of people. But you got to have you got to have confidence, and you got to be willing to look beyond the traditional pool of people. And I think that's I think that's a mindset, a, a stereotype out there that that I I think was hopefully changing. But I hear all the time, well, you know, these millennials they don't like to work hard. You know, they they want their work life balance. They want to be you know sitting in their whatever vacation home and maybe work from there. And and that's just they work different. You have to under, and I'm assuming that's the case. You're the expert, but they work different. Doesn't mean they're working any less or working any uh, less loyal or less uh, uh, committed to their job. And and knowing that some generations can work different than the other, I think is important to be able to identify those people to bring up like this 25 year old as a partner and 31 year old. And I, that was something I wanted to ask you about, but you addressed it. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and we need well, that. and some of those things that you mentioned, you know, work life balance and not working as hard, and they want to be doing different things. You know, I, I love the concept of work life balance. I mean, we could talk about that for hours. It's interesting, in my view, that I have never asked anyone of any age, would you like to have the ability to spend more time with your family and friends? Maybe it's not family, maybe it's friends, right? Uh, Would you like the opportunity to do more of that and still get your work done? To a T, everybody's going to say yes. I don't know anybody that's going to say no. Yep. I was the traditional CPA, probably more of the boomer uh, or even traditionalist working 80 plus hours during tax season. And my work-life balance was just awful. And I realized it and I ended up selling my practice and that's how uh, Trimerit started. But yeah, it's, it's, I was very bad at managing it, but I realized it and I would take that work-life balance any day. Yeah. And having that recognition to do that is really important. And it's also probably allowed you to recognize that it's not a generational thing that wants work-life balance. Nope. And there's so much literature out there on that right now. I just read a book called The Un-American Dream, which sounds like a horribly titled book. Uh, <laughs> but it's about that concept. The American Dream has almost become more about how many hours can you work and how can you convert your hours into your, um, you know, essentially what defines your worth and how your dream that you're achieving is it's a badge of honor hours you've worked. And the author of that book recognized, no, the Ameri- it isn't it at all. Right. It isn't about how much more can you work, but it's all about what relationships can you build and how successful can you be both personally and professionally. That's really what people want to accomplish. And he's not a millennial. He's not Gen Z. Right. Um, he's, you know, been a serial entrepreneur. And it's one of those you think, Everybody recognizes it. I don't know why we have to think about it as a generational thing. No. And, and the other thing I think is important is just finding what you like and really concentrating on that. Obviously, you have to identify your weaknesses, and that's at every generation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, try to strengthen those, but take your strengths. And, and, and your strengths are probably the things you like the most and really concentrate on those and, and build your build your career around that. I'm assuming that's a, a fair aspect yeah. of a way to look at things. 
right, I, I think it is. And, and to recognize individuals have weaknesses and individuals have strengths and that you didn't hire the entire generation. Right. Uh, you could name as many lazy millennials as you want. I could, you could probably name just as many lazy any other generation as you want. And there's plenty of successful people in every generation as well. I don't know. We have to step away from the, the generational shield and start recognizing we have people and treating people. them like individuals. Yeah, yeah. and every then that's the, the more I, I I research this a little bit to talk to you today, and the more talking to you, that's what I realize. It's just people, and everybody has everything. Everybody has a different way of communicating. Make sure we can communicate the together. Figure out the best way to collaborate. Figure out who's got these skills. Use them in the right place, and it's not just a it's not just a generational thing. I think we're probably uh, uh, about at the end of that. Anything, any key highlights that I missed that you'd like to talk about before we kind of start wrapping it up here? No, I think the big thing is really just to remember that every generation, um, every individual brings a lot of value. And one of the big things that I've learned over the years in researching this and working with firms on this and uh, just working with you know companies even outside of our profession on this is no one generation has come up with everything on their own. Every generation has been influenced by the generation before it and is influenced by the generations that come after it. So if you think about that from a leader's standpoint, because you know we talk a lot about leadership and I know you and I have talked a lot about leadership over the last few years. Every leader is gonna be influenced by the leaders that led them over the course of their career, but they're also gonna be influenced by those that they are leading. And an open-minded leader that is willing to recognize, no matter an individual's age or generation, they bring a lot of unique perspectives. They bring a lot of value and a lot of knowledge to the table. That's going to be the most successful leader. The leader that looks at it and says, well, I can't lead millennials or I can't lead boomers or I can't lead Gen Z. It's going to be the leader that struggles. Yep. Uh, we've got to figure out a way to rise above the generational conflict, figure out what's in the best interest of our firms, what's in the best interest of our clients and go from there. Yep. And I, and I think I just want to highlight the one thing you said as we, we wrap up before is, is identifying those key people, knowing that they uh, may do things different. But if we want our firms to continue, if we want to, you know, have autonomy within our firms and not, you know, stay as ABC uh, a CPA firm rather than having to merge in with somewhere else, don't make these, these future leaders wait 15 years or whatever it traditionally has been until they're eligible to become a partner or eligible to get uh, move up, accelerate that as much as you can. And I think that's great. I get, every time I talk to you, I get a lot out of it. And I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, and mm -hmm. like I said, I'm going to talk to you again. If you uh, will let me in, we'll talk data analytics on a future. Oh show. yeah, let's definitely, we'll talk data analytics. We'll talk emerging technology. We can, we can geek out. It'll be fun. All right. That's nice. Well, I'd like to usually wrap this up with some kind of fun fact, any fun fact you'd like to share about yourself, you know, like you're a, a drag racer or you like scuba diving or you, uh, um, have a thimble collection, anything like that? No, nothing crazy like that. Um, fun fact, I am a Disney fanatic. Um, right. our, our whole family, we're Disney fanatics. Uh, one of these days, as you know, I like to teach on leadership. I do a lot about that. Yep. Uh, one of these days, I'm convinced you could just teach an entire, I have three young girls at home. So they're okay. eight, five, and three. Pretty convinced I could teach an entire leadership class exclusively based on Disney princess films. Uh, 
I think I've almost got it put together. I don't know if that's a fun fact or a weird fact, but <laughs> I'm there, I feel like. <laughs> All right. Uh, there was somebody that did a podcast on Disney princess shows, and it may have been, it may have been Freakonomics. I don't know, but, uh, or it could have been, uh, it might have been Freakonomics. I'd go look at that and check it out. It was I'm a really interesting show, actually. So, well, I'm going to wrap it up again. If Before we go, is there any way any people can get a hold of you? I mean, go to the website or anything else? Yeah, they can uh, find me on our website, upstreamacademy.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Or they can also email me directly, uh, jeremyc at upstreamacademy.com. And I would be happy to answer questions or talk to anybody that wants to chat more. All right. Well, again, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, you can find all the show notes for today's episode as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we will be going beyond compliance, forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and discussing leading-edge management styles and techniques.